Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. We start out by looking at some of the helps and hindrances to developing a fervent, powerful prayer life. We talked about the fact of if God already knows why I pray. We looked at the urgency of prayer. We saw the interesting fact that God needs prayer. In other words, your cooperation, that God responds to your prayers. We talked about praying, realizing that God is our Father. We looked at praying in the name of Jesus, praying expectantly, walking prayer, praying that with the power of agreement, uh, the prayer of agreement. We talked about intercessory prayer, praying for others. We studied prayer types. We studied five things to do when our prayers are not working, and we talked about after you pray, what then? So we have been down a great uh, uh, journey together. Uh, My prayer is that we'll take these things, that we've been able to digest many of these things into our lives, into our hearts, and that we've been able to implement them into our lives so that they continue to make a difference for us because this was basically a waste of time unless we take it and we get it inside of us, and we can begin to actually do it. I'm closing things out today. Uh, we're talking about the, the keys to a powerful prayer life. And I, I felt like this would be a good place for us to, to, uh, to summarize and to bring things to a conclusion here in this series. Today we're talking about uh, the awakening. The awakening. We're talking about praying for a spiritual awakening. Look at Psalm 85, verse 6 with me. Psalm 85, verse 6. Now, this is, the, uh, these, this is the people of Israel. This is, of course, the psalmist declaring the, the situation that Israel was in, that the people of God had, had, as they so often did, they had neglected and forsaken their Lord and turned away from Him. They then were subject, they, were, uh, they subjected themselves to the results of that, which are not all, they're not ever good. When you turn away from God or when you allow anything in your life that God does not desire there, it never turns out good. Now the enemy tries to say, oh, that's okay. You'll like this. It'll be good for you. But the, the, the exact opposite is true. God always wants good for you. And anytime we try to just have our own way and it's different from what his way is, the, the result will never be good. God always has the best plan the best way. Sometimes it's difficult to get that through our head. But... <clears throat> As a result of, of not really following the Lord and worshiping Him, they had experienced some, some problems nationally and personally. They experienced some real difficult times in their lives. And they were feeling a sense of desperation, if you will. In Psalm 85, verse 6 in the Amplified Bible, it says, and this is a question to the Lord. They're asking God, will you not revive us? Will you not bring us back to life? That your people may rejoice? That your people may rejoice in you? It's a question. Lord, this is our plight, our situation right now. Things are bad. Things are not good as they used to be. We are not walking in the blessings. We're not walking in all the good that you have for us. We don't, we don't really worship you anymore. And things have gone downhill. And they ask a question, Lord, will you bring us to life again? Will you not revive us? Thankfully, the question down through the ages has been yes. 
by his mercy and grace, he has. Now look at revival and awakening, what we mean. The word revival literally means to bring back to life. In other words, you have the picture of the fact that a person has been alive, they died, and revival means you revive them, you bring, you resuscitate, you bring them back to life. Now, uh, I, I wrote a paper, one of the papers I wrote years ago in graduate school, uh, I talked, uh, I, I did a study of revival cycles, and I, and I wrote uh, uh, a paper on this, and it was interesting going back and looking at all the revivals, particularly in the United States, and how they had, uh, that they were cyclical, they, they, they moved in a cycle that you would find they were, there was the era of deadness, where there was dullness, apathy, moral degeneration, and unbelief, and hopelessness. But out of that, there was a cry of despair, need, and hope, people searching for answers. And that was the era of dissatisfaction, a restlessness, a disturbing. There must be an answer. There must be a way to get out of this. That brought them to what, we, what I refer to as the era of decision. In other words, when you come to this place and you say, I don't like things the way they are, I want things to be different, then I've got to decide what I'm going to do about it. And now you make a decision. And you could either decide to go on the direction you're going and go to utter destruction, no hope, or you could turn to the one who is our hope. And you could turn to him, turn to him who is the answer, and you could either go toward your destruction or you could come in repentance, turn to him, and return to life. In other words, you would be restored. Revival was a result of that. that. That's what happened when there was revival and awakening. There was deliverance. There was an era of deliverance. The sad part of this account is that as you study the cycles of revival down through the ages, during that cycle of revival, they moved from a time of deadness and apathy and, uh, and darkness they finally moved to a place where they made a decision and their lives were changed, transformed, good things were happening. The sad thing is, is that it never lasted. It never lasted. The cycle continued after a period, a generation or two, they began to slip away again. You know, sometimes when you read the Old Testament and you see how the Israelites, God had blessed, great things were happening. He promised them, uh, promised land, good things, you know. He's their God, loves them. And then, lo and behold, they go do stupid stuff. They begin to turn their back on him. They worship other gods. God told them, look, as long as you worship and love me, it's going to be great. But if you don't, it's not going to be so great. How many times did they hear that? But over and over again, what did they do? They went back and did the same old thing. And, you know, as we've been reading through the Old Testament the past several months there, and especially when you're reading about the, the plight of Israel there, you just had to kind of scratch your head and say, God, when in the world are they going to get it? When are they going to get it? That they, everything was great, and then why in the world did they go back that way? But before we become too judgmental and harsh with them, let's look over the ages for since then. Let's look over history, and let's look at maybe even, perhaps even, our lives. Have there not been times that we've seen, experienced the blessings of God? We've been devoted to Him. We wanted to give Him our best, our all and everything. But over a period of time, through distractions, through busyness, through whatever complacency, through compromise, things start happening. Life goes on. And what happens? We begin, we begin to slide back and away. We begin 
to move in a different direction. I think probably every one of us in this building can see and can remember times that that's happened to us. The sad part is it uh, is that while everything was going great, that eventually they fall back into a decline, to a recession, they repudiate the truth, and you see this is always synchronized between spiritual life, political life, and social life. And what happens? They decline back to their old state to deadness, and then they start the cycle all over. Revival means bring that back to life, and, and it, it usually applied, it's most often it is used to apply to the church. When you talk about revival, you're talking about what happens in the church, right? Because you're, you're thinking, okay, these people who are part of the church, they've been born again, or we could call they've been made alive, okay? They've been made alive. They are alive. Well, then they turn away from God, and we say, well, they have turned away, and now that life that was once there, I'm not getting this thing of whether lose salvation or not right at this particular time, but they move back into a place of slackness and loss and separation in their passion and their fellowship with the Lord. And their zeal has died, and their passion has died, and, and their, their, their willingness to serve God has died. And, and, and in that sense of apathy, there is a deadness there. They go to sleep spiritually. And so they need to be revived. Revival to bring back to life. Usually refers to the church. Now, revival can mean a personal revival. How many of you have ever had time where you were reminded, hey, I need, I need, to, get th- I need to see things turn around in my life. I've allowed myself to get into some things or I've backed away in my commitment to the Lord and I need that personal revival. Then there's that revival that's what many of us grew up in were a planned series of meetings in a church. <clears throat> I remember as a, as a little guy growing up in a small country church, the revival we'd have. The only time we could have revival was in the second week in August. God dare not revive the church any other time than the second week in August because that was our revival. And so every year around the second week in August, you would invite a visiting preacher or evangelist to come in. He would preach usually a week long uh, at night. Sometimes if you were real uh, adventuresome, you'd have a morning uh, session and an evening session. And the visiting, I, I preached revivals in, in, around Alabama and Kentucky and Virginia and West Virginia. I had the opportunity to be invited and go preach revivals in different churches. And when you go there to preach, uh, it's unique. You've been, you've been pastoring in a situation everybody knows you. It's, you know, they get familiar with, they hear you every Sunday and whatever. But when you go to a different area, to another church, it's like, it's new life. It's like they perk up and listen. I mean, I mean you guys listen. You're kind of the exception to the rule. But, <laughs> but you could go there and when they haven't, they don't, they don't know you. It's kind of like Jesus. You know, sometimes a pastor can be like Jesus in Nazareth. The people just kind of say, oh, that's just him. That's just him, no big deal. But then they go back to some other church, some of them say, wow, look at what's going on. It's the same spirit. If it's the Holy Spirit, it's the same Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter where you are. God can do great things. But anyway, I digress. But I, let, me, let me, it was interesting going to these, uh, being a part of these revival meetings. I was invited just as a young man. I was probably 20. Um, I would have been in my early 20s, probably about, well, probably mid-20s, 24, 25. And I was invited to go to, to a Christian church in uh, uh, West Virginia. 
on the West Virginia, Virginia line. And I went there and it was a large kind of stately built building. Now I'm a little country preacher. I'm pastoring, I'm pastoring First uh, Church, uh, it was at the Methodist Church at the time, First Methodist Church in a small county seat town. It, it, when we came there, it was a dead church. I mean, it was dead spiritually. There was nothing going on. It was just the building falling in, nobody coming. So, so I mentioned that before. That's why I went there because they figured there was nothing to lose. But amazingly, God brought revival in that little place. But while I was there, I had the opportunity to go and speak in this area. This, this was what was fascinating to me as a young man. I, I'm, just, I'm just an old country boy, raised up, you know, going to school. I got a young family and everything. And nothing special, really, when you think about it. I went to this place and it was almost like I stepped into a celebrity status. I didn't know how to take it. They had a, they had a young people's group, teenagers in that group. It must have been 20 or 30 kids. Now they would come to the, to the gatherings and I would share and, uh, you know, and, and you would see, a, it, you know, it was a very, at one time it was a very real ritualistic church. There was not, it was, it was a very religious setting, let me say. The amazing thing is, is that God had touched the lives of some of these young people. Now, they'd be there during the revival service. They would be there. And they came up, to, they talked to the pastor, and they came up to me after our first time and said, would you mind staying afterwards and go to our building over here and coming and answer questions and share and preach to us or share with us longer? I mean, something must have been happening for young people to say, look, you know, 45 minutes, an hour is not enough. Can we go over here? We want to hear more. We want to hear more. That was, that was new to me. It was amazing. And here's what was just absolutely amazing to me is that toward the end of this week, and, and it's funny, but for me it was just kind of like, you know, uh, it was kind of like at a cow at a new gate. I just didn't know what to do. And so, I was, and they said, uh, you know, they started asking for my autograph. They're asking for my autograph. It was like I was some big celebrity. Well, you know, I'd be careful with that because, you know, uh, there was no, no room for pride there. I knew who I was, and I, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of laughed when they said that or, you know, that, you know laughingly say, okay, here you go, whatever. But, but it was one of those occasions where there was a supernatural manifestation of God and where there was at least among the young people, there was a, there was a heart that a deep heart longing to hear the word and to experience God and to pray. I remember one time after that, I said, well, let's just gather up and pray. And uh, sometimes we take so many things for granted. And they were brought up in a setting, so we all circle up. There must have been 20 or 30 of us there. So we all circle up. And we grab each other's hands and we're praying. And, and Here's what's odd. They had been used to every person going around the circle and praying individually. But then I talked a little bit about, hey, why don't you just pray and open up your heart? Why don't you just talk to God? And then after the first time I did that, what was amazing was is as they prayed, I agreed with them out loud. Yes, amen. Thank you, Lord. We received that, Lord. And I didn't realize until after that first session was together and everything, they didn't know what to do with that. They didn't realize that actually you all could pray and talk to God at the same time and there was this power that came in agreement. And <clears throat> something so simple ignited them uh, and caused them to come to a place where they recognized that when they got together and prayed, man, they could just really worship and pray together. 
But that was their week of revival. Now, what's happened to that church since then, I, I don't know. Lost contact over the years. But had many opportunities to go in these, uh, these churches, some of them uh, decent-sized you know, membership, and some of them relatively small. But there was something about setting aside a particular time where people were going to focus and say, we expect God to do something. We expect him to do something in our midst. We expect to receive from him. So most of us were brought up in revival meetings. Now, you can have a revival meeting without having a revival. I can testify that. I've been in a lot of church revivals where there was absolutely no revival. Just meetings. So we don't want to substitute for that. Then a revival can be a spontaneous spiritual event. It's not organized at a certain time. It's just that God moves on the hearts of people in the church, on believers. Something happens inside of them. Haven't you ever felt that when we've been worshiping or when I've been sharing something and we've been praying? Haven't you ever sensed God doing something down inside of you? You know what we want to do? And this will not cause confusion. This is not out of order. It will not cause confusion. But what we do, we come to a place of just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if He's really speaking to you about something uh, in particular in your life, and He just zeroes in, do you know when you should respond to that? Right then. Be quick to respond to Him. And sometimes, here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. When God speaks something inside of you through His Word, and, and you just know it, then you respond. You may come down here and, and bow in prayer. You may, you may stand. You may, you, you know, there may be different ways that you, that you uh, reveal that or show that. But you are just simply saying yes to him. And here's what happens oftentimes. Is if a person will be honest about that and they'll respond to it, then there's going to be other people who've been kind of inhibited or held back. And when they see that there's someone who has the faith and the courage and willing to step out and say, God has really been speaking to my heart and I'm just coming by and roaring and worshiping him. And oftentimes that just opens up the floodgates. Just people begin to respond. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be down here at the altar area, but you, it, the, the spirit of God begins to move over a congregation. It's amazing. I've seen this happen where you just be hearing. It's just like <clears throat> I don't have to be saying anything particular. It's just like you begin to see it across the congregation that God is impacting people. You can see it on their face. You know something's going on. <clears throat> when I went to graduate school <clears throat> in Kentucky, <clears throat> excuse me, when I, I sang too loud this morning. <clears throat> I, I, say, I, I found myself getting hoarse. I was singing loud. But it's hard not to sing loud when you got such good stuff to sing. I was in a... a I arrived there to, to go to uh, Asbury, and the, 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 the college was right across the street from the graduate school area, and so just two years before I arrived, they had had a sweeping revival. It was considered one of the greatest revivals that happened in the 1900s, uh, in, in that century, one of the greatest revivals that ever swept the nation. You could still feel and sense the remnants of it there, even though I'd like to have been there right in the middle of it, but it was still, you could get kind of, kind of a, some things, results of it. You could sense it happen. <clears throat> but they started in a traditional chapel meeting. One day they had, they had chapel once a week in a particular chapel building, and they came together and they met there. And they were just kind of going through the routine, and then someone 
began weeping, like hardly visibly. And it was one, I think, the seniors that was there that got up and came and just got before the Lord in prayer. And then eventually stood up and shared and said, I need to share with everyone here that God has spoken to my heart that I have been a phony. I've not been real here. My relationship with God's not been real. I've been a poor example of him, and I'm repenting right now. God has dealt with me about it. And through that act of genuine surrender and commitment, then here comes another and another and another. The altar is filled with people. People are on their face. They're on their knees. They're standing and praising God. And then it begins to move to where there's, there's prayer and there's praise and worship intermittently all together, and it moves, and, the, and they don't make it to the next class. They don't make it to the next class. They don't make it to the next class. <clears throat> they finally, the president says the classes are suspended. You don't have to go. And so they went through that day. They went, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. They went through that day. And then the next day <clears throat> and the next day and the next day, reporters started coming in from, from news agencies. And word started getting out, and students started going out to different churches. And these students who'd experienced this, here's what's interesting. They'd experienced this in their life. They would go to a church in another city or another state, and when they would go there and share, the same thing happened in that church that happened back at Asbury at the school. It was as if there was an impartation. There was something in them that when they went there, then it was imparted in other people. It was like it was contagious. You know what I'm talking about? And it is. The Spirit of God moved through them. Revivals can be a powerful thing. We don't have a, I don't know that we've ever had an annual revival meeting here. And this is a, a great church. Great church. And uh, people here who love, you love the Lord they're, you know, you desire to, to serve him. There are just some great, great Christians in this family here. I'm grateful for every one of you. But sometimes we may fail to realize that maybe even a great church where God's doing tremendous, powerful things and everything, there might still need to be some revival. We don't have to set a week. It can be today. It can be tomorrow. It can be next week. It can be next month. But... God, revive whatever has died in our passion and commitment to interview God. Revive it in us. Now, Webster defines the word awakening and says, awakening is an act or moment of becoming suddenly aware of something. It's like, whoa, you wake up to something. An awakening. Uh, it speaks more of from being awakened from death to life. Ephesians 2, 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive in Christ. Now, this awakening can be personal. We call that new birth. When you experience a new birth, you might, have gradually come, you might have gradually come up to the point to where you made that decision to receive Christ, and then you progressed and grew as a Christian afterwards. But at some point in the time, some point in that time, there was a quality decision where you knew and understood that Christ was the way and you accepted him into your heart. We call that the new birth. And we have the testimony, though we may not be physically blind, have the testimony of the blind man in John 9 that says, you know, I'm not a whole lot I can explain about this, but here's one thing I can say. I was blind, but now I see. In other words, I was dead, but now I'm alive. 
So very important. Now, usually a revival, we're talking about more of a church, right? It's, but when you talk about awakenings, usually that to us, is, we see that as referring to nations, geographical areas, widespread, what we call a widespread move of God. We read about in history the great awakenings, the great spiritual awakenings that took place in this country. These were amazing times throughout history, a divine move of God, radical changes. There were times that people experienced the presence of God being manifest. It spread across this country. They experienced God's power, His presence. People experienced conviction. Lord, God, what do I do? What do I need to do? They repented. They prayed. People had a renewed thirst for the word. There was authentic conversions. And when there's a real awakening, everything changes in a nation. Everything. Maybe not to the extent that it should, but when there's a real awakening, families change. Businesses change. Government changes. Media changes. Literature changes. God moves in all of these areas. You see a remarkable change. Now, I'm going to quickly go through this. It's a little bit, little bit different, but let me touch on this very quickly. Uh, we have what we call the first great awakening in the 1730s and 1740s. And I thought maybe I would just point out a couple things about some of these awakenings to just show you what powerful, powerful movements of God there were and then, then see how that applies to us today. <clears throat> the first great awakening, primarily we see the, the leaders of the people's names identify with that or are the great preachers like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley. And let me read a quote <clears throat> that was written during that time, I think by Jonathan Edwards, who was just, just kind of describing what things were like. He said, There has remained a more general seriousness and decency in attending the public worship. There's been a very great uh, alteration or change among the youth of the town with respect to uh, reveling, <laughs> partying, frolicking, profane and unclean conversation and lewd songs. Instances of fornication have been very rare. There have also been a great uh, deal of change among both old and young with respect to tavern haunting, he calls it. Tavern haunting. Suppose <clears throat> the town uh, has been so free of, of vice in this respect uh, that, that uh, it's like it's, haven't seen in over 50 or 60 years. I was reading about one revival <clears throat> awakening, I'm sorry, an awakening. And in that awakening, there was such a remarkable change that, that the, the policemen and the police officers in, that, in the town surrounding that area had nothing to do. They could still oversee and, you know, give some, some direction and guidance and be available to people, but there were zero, there was zero crimes in some of these towns. See, zero Judges had nothing to do. The judicial branch was just, you know, there's no cases to hear. This is true. This is a true account. In fact, they were having so many revival meetings and one of these awakenings, they're having so many meetings in churches that the, the local uh, policemen in that area, the police officers there, they also, they, they were singers and they had, they had gotten together a few trios and quartets within the department there. And so when you call, here's what you did. This is amazing. People called the police department to get a quartet to come to sing 
at their revival. The calls made to the police department were, were just to request someone to come and sing the gospel. Amazing. And uh, they're remarkable accounts. Here's what it says about the first uh, awakening. The course of the entire nation was so distinctly transformed that even hardened skeptics could not deny it. Second Great Awakening was 1790s and 1800s. <clears throat> America had won her independence as a nation. But here's something interesting. <clears throat> Sometimes we think about after they win their independence that there must be some type of great spiritual growth and revival in the nation. But actually, shortly after America becomes a nation, there's a real decline spiritually and morally. It was said that during those times, uh, within the next decade or so after America uh, won her independence, independence from England, that there was great drunkenness. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, eventually were, were considered alcoholics. It was rampant. Women were afraid to go outside of their homes at night, and churches were declining. But during that time, there began to be a, an amazing move of God and awakening. Charles Finney, uh, who had been an attorney, but then became a powerful, powerful evangelist and preacher, uh, was one of the primary ones uh, that we know of during that time. Uh, this spread as the nation moved westward uh, into the western areas there. Kentucky was one of those areas. And the Cane Ridge Revival was, took place during those times. And during those camp meetings out in these rural areas, if you will, in Kentucky, people would come travel for days, come in their wagons, set up makeshift tents, and, uh, and they would come there and gather in large areas. You know what to do? To pray. They came and gathered and to pray until God, in their, in their uh, the way they describe it, until God came down, until there was a manifestation. And there was a, there was a earth-shaking revival that took place out in the hills of Kentucky and uh, one person who was there wrote and described and says, as I look out over the grounds, the ground is covered by the slain. And we're not talking about dead physically. Two things. We're talking about people who fell on their face before God in repentance. They felt so powerful the move of God that they need to just fall on their face in submission and repentance. The other was the fact that if it was not falling in face of repentance, there was such a a powerful wind of the Holy Spirit that went across the place that people as they're worshiping just fell on their face for God. Oftentimes referred to as being slain in the Spirit. And I know some people abuse that and play around with that and it's phony. But it's a real experience of being uh, actually overcome with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit where you can't stand before Him. Amazing. Amazing. They described this as saying that people were crying out in prayer in such a way that it sounded like a noise, uh, sounded like noise compared to the roar of Niagara. There were mass conversions. The third great awakening, sometimes referred to as 1850s through the 90s, somewhere in that area, often sometimes, sometimes referred to as the Fulton Street Revival. 48-year-old businessman, Jeremiah Lamphier, he was a layman. He wanted to call to do some evangelistic work with the Dutch Reformed Church. In 1857, he decided in order to reach out to people, he'd start visiting door to door. He passed out pamphlets and he prayed. There was no real success. He got upset and discouraged. But he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start having a noontime prayer meeting in the city. He announced it <clears throat> September 23rd, 1857. That was the same year that there was a stock 
market crash. Well, the first meeting was in the little church there, and he sat there and sat there and sat there, and finally one person showed up, and then a couple of others. The next week there was 20. The third week there was 40. They started meeting daily then, and with months, so many people were gathering to pray at the noontime hour that it spread out to other churches, that churches opened their doors to those places to pray. And eventually, many of the businesses and stores started closing during the lunch hour so that everyone could go and pray. It was an amazing thing. Then shortly after that, the young shoe salesman in Chicago who wanted to teach a Sunday school class and said, well, we don't really have one for you. We don't know if you're that qualified to do that. said, why don't you go take these, uh, these uh, young men out here? They're uneducated. Uh, they don't know very much. He said, go out and just gather you up some. And so he did, and, and he began teaching, and then eventually uh, began seeing more and more of them converted, and then people, as he preached and shared the word, they came to know Christ. We know him as Dwight or, or D.L. Moody, and powerful things happened that changed the nation, changed the nation. Uh, Third Great Awakening was primarily in Wales, the Welsh Revival would call a young man, Evan Roberts. Amazing things happened there. Uh, there, there are so many, so many things I could talk about here. We could spend days, but I, there was the Azusa Street revival. It took place in the early 1900s. It was led by an African American preacher, William Seymour. This was the birth of the modern day Pentecostal movement that was marked by miracles and healings. Then I lived through one that I wouldn't call a Great Awakening, but it was an, an awakening that took place in the 1960s to the 1980s. This is when the Jesus movement took place. Uh, the uh, America uh, was in great trouble during those years in the Vietnam era and a lot of horrible things going on. But in the midst of that darkness and trouble, people were praying. And God came and did a magnificent thing where the, the least likely people started getting turned on to Jesus, knowing him called the Jesus Movement, the charismatic renewal where people were, were beginning to learn about the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful things that happened. I cannot say that... In my understanding of it, I cannot say that there has been uh, a real uh, revival in the nation, maybe scattered here and there in different little spots, awakening the nation, maybe in just little areas, but not a real strong revival that's affected areas around them, not uh, a, an amazing awakening that's just spreads over an area. I haven't seen that uh, to any level compared back to the 1960s to the 80s. It, it hasn't happened since then. There's been some good things happen. God's been blessing His favors is, is upon us even in the midst of all the things that are going on. But Well, according to that, if, if it continues to happen, we are due. We are due a great awakening. We are due this kind of move of God. Now, do we need revival? Do we need awakening? The college campuses today are a breeding ground for liberalism, socialism, and anti-Christian philosophies. No respect for authority, entitlement mentality. Get the idea, it's promoted the idea that the more educated a person is, then the less likely they are to be a Christian. Uh, they have that concept that Christians and conservatives and followers uh, of the Lord, that these folks are uh, backwoodsy and just don't know any better. <clears throat> These are the elite who are ever learning but never come into the knowledge of truth as Jesus described it. 
The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Literally, that, you know what that literally says? We, we read it. The fool has said there is no God. Literally, that says the fool has said no God. Lawlessness, violence, hatred, fractured families, sexual immorality, profanity, no regard for God. Do we need a change? Do we need an awakening? It won't happen through political power, although it's important to vote. It's all important to elect people who will stand upon the word, who will do God's will. But it's not going to come through political power changes. It won't come through laws and legislation. It will not come through hype or performance. It will not come through religion and, uh, or through entertaining powerless churches. Dr. J. Irwin Orr said uh, in his research that <clears throat> these awakenings took place about every 50 years, but he says there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Close out with this. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Many of you could just simply quote it or say it. It says, if my people. Now, this was to Israel, I understand. Some of you said it has no application to the United States at all. But in principle, it does. I believe that the, the, the principle is true there and applies to us as believers. And if my people, followers of God, we would say Christians, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, if they will, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. He simply says this. Number one, humble yourself. Let me tell you, there's much of this nation right now that's eat up with pride and arrogance. Political correctness. Number two, he says pray. And I'm talking about not mealy mouth prayer. I'm talking about fervent, effective prayer. Thirdly, what does he say? Seek my face. Don't, don't just seek the things that God has for you. Just don't, think, just don't seek his help. Seek him. Sometimes our prayers are all wrapped up in seeking what we need, asking for what we need and things, stuff. And that, that's all right. He, he provides. But this is a focus on seeking him. Him. His face, intimacy, an encounter with God. If, you've had, if you ever had a real encounter with God, it changed you. And even if you've kind of drifted away in some areas, you'll always, you know that he changed you and you know that God really did do something amazing in your life. And he wants to do that on some level in our lives every day. Seek his face. Fourthly, turn from your wicked ways. In other words, when you do these things, when you seek his face, when you repent, when you pray, he changes you on the inside out. This is not just talking about turn over a new leaf and start trying to live better. When it says stop doing wrong things, it's saying that now you're a different person. And out of being different, out of the change within you, it's going to produce a different lifestyle. There's a problem when you can't tell the difference between the lifestyle of a believer and an unbeliever. There's a problem when you cannot tell the difference between someone who who loves God and someone who doesn't. There's a problem if you cannot distinguish. Christians are life. They're life. And we need to represent that before the Lord. Amen? And he says, now if you'll do this, if you'll do this, he says, then here's what I'll do. I'll hear. You know, we've been talking about prayer and we believe God hears our prayers. I'll hear. I'll forgive. And I'll heal.
I'll heal. Folks, <clears throat> today there is a hunger for authenticity. And I believe there's too much hype and not enough power in the church today. Our nation, and this is what I really want to close out with, I believe that our nation right now is poised, is ready for a spiritual awakening. But here's what will happen. We'll either continue on the path for destruction. We will. This will be it. It may take a while, but we'll continue on this path one way. Or the only other thing is, the only thing, the only thing that has hope for America is another awakening. Good things can happen in America, but the only thing that will change America and bring us back where we need to be will be another great awakening. Will there be one? My prayer is that there will be. There will be. And many people believe that the word teaches that before the coming of Christ, there will be a worldwide awakening. And I believe that. Even though there will be falling away from the truth by some and a rejection of it, I believe that there's still going to be something amazing happening across the world. Let me tell you, I don't want to miss out on that. It's just like having some great event or ball game or something that you've been planning on going and it's one of you know, it's a rivalry and it's great and I've been playing, you know, and then something happens and you just don't get to go and you miss out on it. Man, look, this is far better than anything that we're talking about with ball games or stuff or things. We want to come to a place to where we've got a, a, a hunger and a desire in us. Say, Lord, this is what we want to experience. This is what we want to do. We want to see this in our lives. And here's what it comes down to. I got to say, one, it starts with me. Two, the source is God. And three, I need to keep praying and believing God for it. And I believe that it'll happen. It'll happen in your home. It'll happen in our community. It'll happen in the schools. We've got a tremendous group of school teachers in this congregation who love God. And what a powerful place of ministry they have. And my prayer is, is we're going to begin to see those fires of revival and awakening happening out on these campuses, even up in JSU. Start here, Lord. Start here.